I'ma help the people close to me. They help the people close to them and then hopefully. Friends of they friends, friends, see the notion. We started off locally and now it's changed globally. That's the way it's supposed to be. Single seeds only grow. Welcome to Unguarded Podcast. Uh, presented by We've All. This is your girl Jory Davis back with Hyun. It's episode three. Uh, with Josh Owens. What's going on? What you how you how you felt about this one? I felt good. I've also been thinking about I mean it's Josh, right? So he's a you know, he's 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 a he's a thinker, he's you know, creative, he's kind of an introvert. Josh like he's a planner. I mean I think that was the thing. I don't want to give away stuff. Another thing I've been thinking yeah. about Jory is like as I've been listening to more podcasts and reading about podcasts and stuff, is like should we talk about the episode? Like should we like how much should we talk about the episode with these intros? Like what because one of the things I've been thinking about is like, we're just like, yeah, yeah, this episode is great. This episode is great. Yeah, we talk about this, and then it's like it goes into the episode where you hear the things that we said right. are on the episode, yeah. and I think some of the things that we don't get, not so necessarily about me or from me, but it's just like you, your thoughts, or you know whatever's going on in your life or your career. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I don't know if you hear from people who listen to. The episodes, I know we've only released one from this season, but like, what's your, do you have any thoughts or insights on these intros? So we're going to talk about intros No. this intro to the Josh Owens podcast. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Josh, but your I don't know. I haven't. is great on its own. <laughs> it doesn't really need an intro, so you do a very good job. But yeah, I think people have said they like the back and forth when we do kind of go on a tangent, so... Um, but no one's given any real feedback, truthfully, on the intro. So maybe we could start to, you know, mix it up, remix it. We, it's our world. We can do what we want. So maybe we can make it a little quick intro where we do say the guest and maybe we take the overall topic. So planning, which which was more so Josh's thing. And like we yeah. talk about planning and some form of fashion for the intro and then go into it um not so much talking about the episode itself yeah i think i think a part of it is that every season so for those of you who may not know uh, i guess i'm the i guess i'd be the producer for the show i edited it the last season i i, I wasn't a part of but shout out to vic there's some other people behind the scenes who work on things and uh who cuts the reels and there's james who created the new designs for the episode artwork so shout out to those people but for me as a producer i just try to think like okay well i don't think we should give them the same thing every season right like what can we do like what can mm-hmm. we update like you know keep the good stuff keep the same vibe but like that's why we want to try to go with the retirement thing and then i think also with the intro thing too is like i i think people want to hear more from you personally you, the jory what now is took a break so they don't get to hear those things <laughs> okay so i'm gonna bring a debate to you that i had with some of my friends and you know they are not athletes like myself are and you as a vet now this is your 12th year right you said yep okay are today's top players better than the top players back when you started. 
Now the debate that I was having was that basically, you know, could the star, could the stars of the '90s or the NBA or the '80s could they hang with the the athletes playing today's game? And because uh, there's a lot of older people who think that like everything was better in their heyday, mm-hmm. right? That like Kareem could have, oh, Wilt would have done it. Everybody, same. yeah, like you know, whoever their child yeah. like, that they looked up to. But I guess you as a professional athlete. Right, I'm sure you see like, oh, there's a there's a hot young player that's that's going to be on our team, and they come on. Like first, what what's your mindset when you hear that? Right, what, what's going through your mind? Are you like, hmm, okay, let's see what she's about? Yeah, I think when you you know the hot new thing, of course the generations change. You know, it's they take the show to a whole another level when it comes to uh, their personalities and stuff, but. To the the first question, who's better? I think this is the case. The older generation were more technical. I think they were better at winning. I think they were better at knowing how to execute and do the things that needed to be done to win. Now, the new generation, I think they're more athletic. They're doing things physically that I don't know if the older generation was doing. You know, people talk Jordan, but like, You know, Jordan dunked from the free throw was like, oh, my God. Now you might see a dude, a a guy that doesn't play NBA and he can dunk from the free throw and dunk it. But he's not an NBA, you know, but he has that athletic ability. So I think the new generation, they are very athletic. They can do some really like interesting, entertaining things on the basketball court. But I think the older generation was Smarter players, they knew the game more. They studied the game more. I would say they would if it, they would win. If it was a game game, they would find a way to win. Compared to the new generation, would just look better at playing the game. Okay, so what I'm hearing is is that perhaps the younger generation, because they are more physically gifted, don't necessarily spend a lot of time on the mental side of the game whereas in the past maybe because the athletic level was not there I mean you know we're talking about like seven footers with behind the back passes and all that you know three point three point line doesn't even exist anymore because people are shooting from the half court you know but is that kind of what you would say and like is that is that something that you've seen over like your playing career yes that's what I'm, I'm saying that I, I, I think Due to the heightened state of physical abilities, yeah, they're not paying that much attention to, you know, the X's and O's of the game. And yes, I've seen it. Things that we learned, or I learned, and some of the other veterans have learned when we were younger. There's players coming out of college, and you're like, you don't know this. You don't know a simple pick, pop, reverse the ball to the to the weak side. You know, like these things that we know, rhythm of the pass. They don't, but they can go coast to coast and do something real nice and like finger roll it off the backboard nicely, but they don't know the simple angles of a screen, those tech, more technical elements. So I see I see it and feel it on the court where it's it's just different. And and how did that happen? Because there was more of an emphasis on like highlights, the you know, back then it was I guess it started with the YouTube highlight mixtapes and then you now we're in the Instagram age and 
now, no, sorry. And then it was the Instagram age, and then it's the TikTok age where is it just because there's so much emphasis i mean that's the that's the debate everyone's like who, saying like, it's like, the, who, who, like who's it's the show for this like who who did this is it bad coaching mm-hmm. is it the, enter- the entertainment world i think everybody chose to buy into it you know it's entertainment everyone chose to want to buy into it being more of a show and i think you sub consciously as a player start to do that because that's what's being praised so it's like it's human nature if someone's getting praise or getting the better opportunities or getting paid more to do those things then you're going to focus on trying to be that and I think it's just a natural progression of entertainment technology and and stuff like that but I, I saw a TikTok the other day with these little middle like little nine year olds and they're shooting and they like bang, banging their chest, doing the three-point signs and all that. And I'm like, yeah, what? Yeah, they saw, barely saw, know basketball, but right. this, I was like. Well, that's learned behavior, yeah. right? They must see it from It somewhere. is learned behavior. They're and seeing then, it from us. Right. And then, so, a part of it, and then a part of it is that the coaches don't say stop. You know, the coaches aren't mm-hmm. coaching. I, I imagine the coaches are not coaching the players, those things that you mentioned before, which went completely over my head as they should because they're like you know real basketball things and so it's just i guess it's just a whole bigger thing and then now you have the nil you know situations where like yeah you being a brand and being known for doing those things and getting a lot of followers and also being very physically attractive is you know helpful for you so in a way like the system rewards this that behavior yeah this type of stuff would you go mm-hmm. as far as to say this, I don't maybe not lack of fundamentals, but like the, 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 the decrease of emphasis on that has hurt the game or is it just changed the game? This is how it goes. Sports change, games change, athletes change. I think it just changed. I mean, of course, those of us that played it in a certain way, like, oh, they're killing the game. It's not the way it should be played, but who's to say it's the way it should be played? It's like people play Uno different ways. You know, you, you use your wild cards in different ways depending on where you're at, whose house you're in. So I think it just changed the game, and it's a new style. And the younger generation, that's their style. That's what they know. That's what they're growing up with. And the older generation, of course, we the I'm now in that generation where I'm the old head talking about what are they doing? Look at them, you know. <laughs> like goodness, this is not basketball. Right, but what a shame, you, you, you know. How, so how yeah, you, how do you deal with that as a teammate? How do you deal with that, especially for your position? That's the hard part. That's the part where you really got to check yourself because you realize that you you know that makes you. For me, it's like yeah, my time is is almost up because mm. it's not that oh they need to go back and change. For me, it's like this is what's coming. This is the new style. The way we knew how to play basketball in a more a higher IQ, I guess, level compared to just more uh, physicality and stuff. If you you can't keep up with that style, then it's like All right, it's time for me to roll out because this is not the way I like to play. And if it's a game you don't like to play, then that's what you know. It's like, all right, it's their time now. And I think it happens consistently because, again, you hear when I was younger, the older ones were saying, how y'all playing the game? This is, you know, now y'all have this. I think it's just a cycle it always goes through. And it's accepting that it's the new time. It's the next generation's time. 
Well, speaking of time and rolling out, I think we're about that time to go into Josh's episode. How was that? That was cool. You liked it? We can. I'll, I'll try to yeah, think that's of cool. things. We can kind of put it. You know, get your takes on stuff. Yeah, this is season three, episode three, with Josh Owens around his transition from the game. Hope y'all enjoy. And please subscribe, like, comment, rate, share, and also message us. We want to DM me. DM me. Let me know what y'all think, please. Appreciate it. Josh Owens. Welcome, Josh. Hey, finally got him on. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Thanks, man. Um, so you had a podcast before you retired where you interviewed other athletes who had retired. Was that you already planning your retirement or were you just trying to learn some things on your own about retirement? I definitely kind of knew that I was going to be retiring at some point. And for a long time, I was thinking of ways to give back or help athletes in the position of making that transition, right? Because I think it's something that's a bit taboo. It's not always talked about. And everybody kind of talks about it as if they have it figured out in some way, or it's this, everything's going to be fine type perspective. So I thought being able to create conversations around it would make it easier to talk about for people and to hopefully make people start that conversation earlier careers and not wait until the very end of their careers. And then there was an element of how do I talk about this to people, not only to help other people, but as someone that's trying to figure this out as well, what can I learn from talking to other people? Um, So just having a learning mindset was another kind of inspiration and motivation for it. So at that point, did you know when you were going to retire? Oh, I've I've known when I was going to retire from my first overseas, my first professional deal. When I left Stanford, I told myself if I can play for 10 years, no matter what happens at the end of that 10 years, whether I can keep going or whether, you know, I'm hobbling and got busted knees, I'm, I'm going to stop. And the kind of motivation and design behind that was kind of just like engineer your own chaos, right? Because I think it's easy to get comfortable doing what you're doing at some point. You know, you get into this cycle of, okay, new deal, new country new team, you do the thing and then summer comes and it's like, oh, well, I don't really need it to stop. I can keep doing this. And I knew there's other things that I wanted to do. And I knew the only way to kind of really break out of that is to have a hard set for myself and say, this is the deal that I'm making with myself before I get started. I already know I'm going to have an exit plan, a loose exit plan. But as it got closer, I was like, okay, I made this promise. How do I execute this in a way that sets me up to not be kind of stressed and going through it, you know, when I do finally make the announcement. Uh, Jory, uh, what, what year are you in right now? I'm in my 12th year and I gave myself to 35. So I put an age limit on mine um, and I'm 33 right now. Yeah. I mean, that didn't come to later. I didn't come out of college saying I was only doing a certain amount of years. It came a little later where I was like, okay, I need to you know, give myself a time period where where it needs to stop. Did you you stop at ten, Josh? Or after, I thought you after my ten. 
Okay. Yeah, okay. after my 10th professional season. And the, the thing I would add to like what I said before about kind of having an idea of going in, there was definitely times like during my career uh, when I, you know, I'd come back to the States and I'd, you know, try to start talking to people that were doing, you know, more traditional jobs, trying to figure stuff out. And they'd be like, never stop what you're doing if you love it. You know, never stop if, you know, if the money's good, blah, blah, blah. And there was, there was definitely moments where kind of took a moment of pause and it's like, well, do I go back on that 10 years promise mm-hmm. I made and maybe we, maybe we adjust that or maybe we change it. And I even think around COVID around that time, I really took some hard thoughts on, well, maybe, you know, maybe because two of the years got messed up or a year and a half got messed up. Maybe we get those years back and play a couple, couple of more because I'm still healthy. I still feel good. Still getting offers. But uh, again, it, it took a lot of kind of internal work and kind of internal conversation to be like, no, this is this is something I'm going to I feel comfortable sticking to. Did you share your 10 year, I guess, your 10 year plan with anyone else at any stage of your career, your life? It's funny. I, I really I really didn't. I think there was people that were clo- that are very close to me that I saw on a regular cadence, certainly family members. And some of my close friends back in the states, and even even friends that I have abroad, that I would I would hint at it, I would I would drop nuggets and allude to the fact that, yeah, like I, I'm thinking about this, or I'm considering that, I'm talking to these people and uh, kind of weighing these options, but I never explicitly said, this is for sure I'm going to retire. And I think some of that definitely goes goes to this idea of when you're in something, you don't kind of keep a foot out. I think talking about mm-hmm. retiring in certain certain ways with people, especially within the business, telling you know telling a team or telling teammates that you're heavily like weighing these options that can kind of paint your approach in a certain way, like, oh, this person doesn't love it or this person isn't fully invested. Um, so I always, I think I always wanted to avoid that, but also stay true to the to the fact that, no, I'm definitely very transparent to people during my career, but no, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about this stuff. I, I won't tell you the exact time that I'm, you know, planning on pulling the trigger, but I, I wanted to let people know that thinking about life after was something that has always been very present and real throughout my career um, and it wasn't it wasn't just like this surprise thing that happened yeah Joey I hope we didn't blow an exclusive with you mentioning that you plan to retire at 35 I hope that Lorenzo your agent doesn't get upset <laughs> if he hears this and you get an angry phone call like Joey what do you nah, he's on he's he, yeah he, he's already <laughs> nervous nervous about it because you know the, the, yeah no nah, there's no exclusive I think Everyone kind of knows that. I mean, it's clear because Weevolve is kind of out there a little bit. So people know I'm not just 100% invested in basketball because it's, it's publicly shown that I'm invested in something else as well. So for me, that discussion that Josh brought up, you know, some teams are like, oh, well, they're not fully focused on basketball. It's kind of inevitable. They know I'm not fully focused on basketball. So there's no exclusive there. But I will say, Josh, I know a lot of individuals, more so in the coaching world, I guess, for me, 
people that finished and mm-hmm. coached, they were the ones that gave that excuse, like, hey, don't stop until you can't anymore. Yeah. Like, just keep going. And I never asked, truthfully, why. I probably should have asked them to give me, elaborate on exactly why you feel that way, because that could give more insight. But um, for me, it was mostly basketball world coaching individuals, not so much those with a a regular nine to five, a few. But I think it's because they also didn't fully understand our lifestyle as well. They didn't. They just thought it was traveling and fun. They didn't really know the day in and day out as well. So. I, yeah, I think it's I think it's that I think it's understanding the depth of passion and love and dedication that comes comes into something, right? I think when people recognize that they want to tell you like like don't don't stop, like keep mm-hmm. keep with it. Maybe for I don't know if this this is this is true for all coaches or all people that stay within the sport, but staying close to the sport is a way to kind of keep a little bit of that, right? To maintain a little bit of that connection. And to feel like it's not maybe completely, completely over. I don't know that that's, mm-hmm. that, that may not be fair to say, but I think that's a motivation in my mind for when I think about, okay, what I'm, what I want to do next or where I'm going to head next. And certainly coaching, scouting, or getting into player development is something that could be like a on-ramp. And when people ask me, well, why don't you stay, stay with basketball? It's usually that... I need. I, I tell them no. I need a complete break. I, I in the future will do something with basketball. I'm sure whether it's mentoring or something more involved like coaching kids or volunteering to coach kids in some some form. But most immediately, I, I want this complete clean separation from the game. So I don't. So I don't tease myself in any way about having that itch or saying, well, what if I did keep playing because. Cl- because I am close to it and I'm seeing seeing it and I'm saying, oh, like you were still healthy. Like you're still getting contract offers when you retired. And it's like, no, completely break it off and come back to it with a little bit of a clear mind, clear perspective about how you want to engage. But that's not, that's, again, that's not to take away from people who are passionate about coaching and doing the things to stay involved with the game right after. Like that's no knock on them. I think the like what, what I was saying earlier is earlier is directed to people that are like approaching the end of their career and whether they're going to stop because they can't perform at a level that they want to anymore and then feel like then feel like coaching or getting involved in that way is the only option they have i think it's those people that i were not i don't want to say worry about the most but i just want to like shake them and be like before you just like default to saying like this is the only thing that i can do like don't i I would say don't limit yourself to that and be again like kind of lulled by the comfort of sport just because that's where that's that's where you've been and that's what you know you have so much value and you have so many things that you can bring to other other things and i hope that they take again take a moment to just like explore for a little bit and sit in stillness and kind of really do the internal work to think about the other things that they could they could do well speaking of exploring i noticed on your linkedin that you've got some google qualifications is this something that you've been focusing (laughs) on Uh, is it i think you did it last year so is it i guess 
is this a part of a you know i feel like i think i was telling jory because she was like what what do we want to talk to josh about i was like well you know he's always a thinker like he's a he's a he's a thinking athlete <laughs> he's a thinking baller he's always got you know something going on in his mind he's planning like something yeah i don't know if that's how you play the game as well if you saw like three plays ahead or whatever you know but uh what's the yeah is that something that you just kind of did to pass the time or is that something that's a part of a greater plan I would say it's it's kind of a just like a snowball of things that I've always done throughout my career. I think when I started playing, I quickly real when I started playing professionally, I quickly realized like how much free time I had. And in lieu of like, I mean, I've never been like a huge video game person or anything like that. So when I have downtime. I'm, I'm alone overseas. I don't have a family with me. I don't have a significant other with me. Like, what am I doing in my free time? And I would always, from a very early point in my career, I wanted to say, how can I leverage this? What can I learn? Not only in that free time, but also when I'm kind of just out uh, abroad, I look at everything kind of as a learning experience. So gradually, I kind of tried to find ways that I can take advantage of my time. A lot of ways that's I'm reading, I'm trying to learn something in that way. I get curious about something. I remember one year I got curious about hmm, coding. Maybe I'll like give a shot at it, just see like, is this something that I'm interested in? And kind of like gradually what I realized was like my framework as I got older, and especially as I started to get ready to approach retirement, I'm thinking of ways that I can try stuff out at like a very low risk way to see if it's something that I would like to do when I'm done. Like, will I have interest in doing this type of work when I'm done? Either I'm learning about a subject or I'm learning about a type of work. Again, for example, coding, like learning HTML, learning C, CSS, learning like Python, like taking courses like that just to take a crack at it. And for some of the stuff, it's like, oh, like this is interesting, cool, I can build some cool things. And then towards the end of it, I'm like, but could I really see myself doing this every day for like, is this something that I'd want to do as like my next basketball? And then sometimes it's like, no. And then I'm like, well, I know that now because I, I tried it. So I, I think I was trying to design like these mini internships for, for myself in a way uh, to try different types of workout. And again, later on in my career, I started to better learn how to identify free resources or very low cost resources that I thought could give me some good insight towards the end of my career, the project management Google thing that I did. Um, the data analytics thing that I did, those were kind of a manifestation of that thought process. And then also a little bit forecasting and saying, well, what are two or three skills that I can show that I've been interested in or that I can learn that I think will either way, if I don't become a project manager specifically, or I don't become a data analyst specifically, having those skills will be kind of fundamental anyways. Like having some comfort with those skills will be fundamental no matter what business-wise in the future. So that, that was kind of the thinking and thought process behind that. And were these things that you found on your own or did you, I mean, you did graduate from Stanford. The, I'm sure the network is pretty, you know, deep in tech. Did you ask around? Like, how did you? It, it, it's a little bit of, it's a little bit of, a little bit of both, like kind of understanding where my interests lie in terms of tech investing and some of that stuff and saying, okay, well, like, what are these people doing? Or like, what's happening in the industry? By just, again, I'm doing a bunch of reading and staying up to date on news. 
and stuff like that and seeing like what the trends are. And then there's some element of just talking to people and like learning more about just business, right? Not even, not even like, like tech world business. Some of the stuff, if, if I'm thinking project management stuff, sometimes I'm thinking about stuff that's happening in basketball, like in my career overseas and like how poorly I think some things are managed, whether it's like a, an away trip for like Champions League or Euro Cup, that's a project. Or you could think of a season. I mean, you can think of a season as a project. And you start kind of just like finding ways to take these more, what we consider like traditional business concepts and apply them to the business that you're in. Athletes are doing data analysis. When you're on Synergy Sports Tech and your coach prints out, you know, the scouting report and says, this is what this team has been doing for the last 10 games. This is what this player has been doing trend-wise for the last five games. These are the stats. These are the things that we're going to focus on. That's da- that is data analysis. So just recognizing like how business is universal, no matter what industry you're in. And then saying, okay, well, like I see that and I want to make sure that I can maybe communicate that and translate that to wherever I go next. But again, like while I'm, while you're in the fix of the season or your basketball career, not necessarily thinking of it like, oh yeah, I'm doing data analysis. Oh yeah, this is project management when I need to organize what my off season is like and how I'm going to get home, all the places I'm traveling in the eight weeks and I'm back, how I'm going to strategize seeing the people I want to see and doing the things I want to do. Joey, I can't imagine that you have any thoughts about things being managed poorly in overseas basketball, <laughs> right? I know. Yo, you don't get me started. Josh already know, you know, that I definitely could go on and on about overseas. I think from top to bottom. We could even talk FIBA. They need your services, Josh. So, hey, you keep doing it because I think from like I said, top to bottom, everybody over here needs some readjusting, some more efficiency because I think the the more we pay attention, uh, and when I say we, I mean Julie as well, of course, business partner and we evolve. It's like we just are like, how in the heck is this happening? You know, like the more we're we're learning and we're like, okay, we're not crazy. You know, because for a, a moment, you're like, all right, maybe we're tripping. Maybe this isn't a big deal. But when you talk to other people in other spaces and how they do things and you start to pay attention, and you're just like, wow, there's so much money circulating. But look how we do business. And people don't even realize this is how it's being done. They assume it's being done correctly. And, oh, it's mm-hmm. it's pro sports. Like, of course, on a global scale, like. That, that doesn't happen there. And it's like, no, actually, let yeah. me tell you, we still use fax machines. Like, imagine what's happening there, you know? So I, I definitely I, understand what you're saying, Josh. Yeah, I, I think you hit it on the head there in that I think in the last few years of my career, as I like, started thinking more about just purely being interested in business, right? I started approaching the season and like reflecting on my career really and some of the teams I've played with and stuff like that. And looking forward, I'd be like, well, what does a good business look like? Right. Just fundamentally like what does a good business look like? And then that made me look at these teams and like approaching offers with a completely different lens really. 
And I think I think that's so important to be able to look. We I think a lot of people and a lot of athletes talk about the game being, you know, basketball's a business, sports are a business. But I don't know how many like actively really approach it that way, like make their decisions purely that way. And I, I think I was telling this to somebody a few days ago um, that was asking about, you know, the over, overseas experience and kind of the inefficiencies and stuff like that we're talking about, things not working, people not being paid, stuff like that. The thing I told them was like, as much as overseas sports is a business, so many times some of these teams or even, I mean, agents for that matter, will weaponize the passion and emotion that we have for the sport, right? And so when you come to them and you're like, well, I haven't been paid for however many months or whatever, you're you, sometimes you're looked at as like ungracious because you have this opportunity to play this game and do these things. But then you're like, no, like, yeah, I, I do recognize and I have so much gratitude for that, but also this can still be a good business too. And it'll probably be a better business mm -hmm. when some of these things aren't happening in that like kind of weaponizing kind of frame. They weaponize the heck out of <laughs> the emotion, the passion. And, you know, they go back to that old school, like you get to play sports. This is about the team. How selfish <laughs> are you? Yeah. Um, okay. I am about the team, but this is a business. If you don't follow XYZ the same way, if I don't follow XYZ with the team, you then go into the business side and start penalizing mm -hmm. me. So why is that not, you know, equally as important? And it's 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 crazy. It's sad. And for the young, you know, I heard about a young player recently in Italy, an eight year contract at S14 coming from Ecuador. There is no agent that cares about that player to put them in an eight year contract in Italy. Mm -hmm. Like that's that doesn't show, you know, but it's like oh, she gets this opportunity to leave Ecuador and come to Italy and play Serie A. What? <laughs> you know, getting injections in her knees. The team took care of it. She's 16 now getting injections in her knees. Like, Josh, anybody, any vet would be like, that is a, that's a disaster. It's almost about to end her career, you know? So they play weaponized, the emotion, passion, that you have this great opportunity to do this. By and it blinds us from the real important things, details. Looking back on my career, one of the ways I kind of measure milestones for myself, I, I call them these like inflection points, right? So I had an inflection point, I think my third professional, after my third professional season where I had done the D-League, I had done my first year overseas in Israel, then my second year overseas, I'd been in Italy, and each of those summers, right, I had said, okay, I'm going to invest all of my resources in the offseason, all my time to trying to make it to the NBA because that was the ultimate dream. And then after that third professional season, you know, you kind of take inventory and you kind of keep it real with yourself for the sake of like your mental and, you know, the trajectory of the rest of your career. And you say, well, is this still going to happen? And is this something that you still want to pour into? Because you have a choice because materially this is going to affect like what your life looks like if you're going to continue to try to you know pursue this in this way so that was when i said no like i i comfortably and peacefully release like the idea of going to the 
NBA and that being like my main focus. And now I'm going to focus on trying to have the best career I can abroad. That was one inflection point. The next inflection point I would say was after my first year in Turkey, where the first kind of three years overseas were, four years overseas were amazing and had a lot of fun. And I looked at the game in a very different way as like, oh, like I'm riding this this wave and kind of this trajectory to a certain point. And then I got to Turkey and kind of had my first real, I don't want to say conflict, but kind of stopping for myself where I said, oh, like I need to approach this differently. If, you know, I want to want to continue, I think I'd been playing for five, six years at that point. And now I'm starting to more actively think about, okay, well, what do I want the rest of my career to look like? How much longer do I want to play? And then that took me to saying, all right, well, I'm going to keep, keep at this because I still have goals abroad. And then the next inflection point was COVID. And COVID was just, again, like this moment of, this moment of pause. You kind of say, okay, well, what, what does it look like from here for what I want to do with my career? And again, it helps for me because I had a little bit of a hard stop, a little bit of a hard stopping point. But COVID was really like, well, I'm sitting in Italy for, I forgot how long we were out there, Jory, but like a couple of months alone, like you get back, I'm not going to have a normal off season training for the next year. I still got a, still got a good deal, end up getting injured that first year back. And it's kind of like, well, now I have to like, it's like climbing out of a hole and it's saying like, when I get out of this hole, like, where am I? in like this, this path that I had kind of outlined for myself and how do I have to readjust to staying on that? If COVID kind of took like a year and a half chunk out of that, well, now do I want to invest like another year, two years to like getting back on the track that I wanted to be on? How does, does that affect like this 10 year plan? So COVID was like a huge stopping point in that way and saying, well, do I want to kind of go through like another cycle? Like, I feel like your career kind of has like these three, four year cycles where like you kind of make a jump, figure some stuff out, make a jump, figure some stuff out. And I knew that at the end of it, I wasn't, I wasn't going to invest another two, three extra years onto the 10 that I'd done to try to maintain something like it, the, the cost benefit analysis and like the opportunity cost just didn't balance out for me. And it, it, that made it easier to be like, no, yeah, the 10 years is the right stopping point. In an interview talking about the lockdown, you said that one of the things that you missed was being tired. How is your tired level these days uh, as a retired player? Like, your has your lifestyle totally changed? I know you were plant based for a while. You were doing a lot of meditation. You were doing yoga. Like, are you have you been able to maintain that, or are you living like a completely different type of life? Because where you're just like, hey, I can. I don't know. I don't know if you're picking out on ribs in uh, Georgia or, or whatever, but it, it's funny. I, when I, when I finish my last season, usually I take, you know, a month where I'm doing completely nothing, not picking up a ball, not working out beyond like stretching and stuff. When I knew I was done in kind of the like normal off season period passed, and I was like, okay, like this is for real, for real. I, I really had this moment where I was like, okay, I need to figure out how to add some type of structure to my life. 
like that was one of like the first things I told myself, like as I was like kind of starting off on this new path of saying, all right, how do I give myself some like guidelines or how do I give myself some type of routine? Because that's something that you have, you know, as a professional athlete. It, it started with like approaching going to the gym. After my morning routine, it was thinking about, okay, how do I approach the gym? Because now um, this retired athlete, I'm still healthy. I could still be playing, but I go to the gym and like the thing that I want to do is go in there for like two hours. I want to just go through a workout. Like I would do a workout for a professional season. And I had to stop myself in like the first week and a half of like going back to working out to say, and ask myself, well, what does working out mean for me now? I'm not training to be, you know, a top one, 2%, 3% athlete in the world that's that's not what this requires of me so like how do i engage with the gym in a healthy way where it's like i'm not going here for like the comfort of just like it was almost like escapism when i started because that's what i was comfortable with i was like oh this feels familiar this feels natural i'll just go to the gym and i'll stay here you know as long as i need to i don't have a job stay here as long as i want and it feels good and then again i had i had this moment where it was like how do I engage with the gym now in a, in, a, in a healthier way that's more akin to like maybe what I'll be doing when I do find something else to do if it's a corporate job or whatever. I'm not going to be in the gym for two and a half hours. Like that's just not, that's not going to be a, re a reality. Um, so th there was that. And then the other really important thing for, my, for myself was, again, finding a morning routine to just get myself going it's giving myself some direction for the day that kind of started out as like this experimentation and again i I'll, i keep saying this like taking inventory of like what i felt like i needed i remember it, it was funny my body hurt after i had taken a lot of time off not doing anything over the summer and i kind of realized like you know your body kind of has this like momentum and inertia that you stay in like as an athlete that you, it's just used to doing these things. And when you finally stop, I feel like the damage that you've done to your body maybe and kind of the wear and tear catches up to you in a way where you fi finally start to feel it. So I, I, it was September or something. And I was like, oh man, my hip, like one of my hips hurt, one of my ankles. Like I, I messed up some ligaments in my ankle last, last my, in my last season. I was like this, oh, this actually hasn't fully healed yet. So I started this morning routine of functional movement stuff. I do some like inspirational reading stuff, meditation, just little things just to say, this is how I'm starting my day from now on, just so I don't kind of wallow in like directionlessness, I guess. I mean, the off season usually is always fun, bouncing around, seeing family. But then it's like you always know subconsciously that, you know, August, September, August is coming and you're going to like do that whole all right here's my new space i'm overseas you know buy whatever make it your home when that time period came did you feel anything like now that that time is not going to happen like you're not catching the flight to find your new home where you're going to be kind of set for now eight months ten months and then you know you have the three two months where you get to bounce around do this thing now you're doing it consistently and there is no overseas when that time frame came up again did it feel 
away? Like, did you you respond? Did you you know? Did anything happen, or was it just like, oh, I don't even notice? No, it's, I I think I definitely felt a moment of anxiety around like September and then October when I like officially announced that I was like retiring. Again, I think the summer just felt like a normal off season. Like I'm still having conversations with my agent. Teams are still calling me directly. And then when October hit and, or no, really September, you start seeing people, you know, catching their flight, going through training camp. And it's like, oh man, this is, no, this is like, this is for real now. I think that's, that's when I had a little bit of anxiety, like, oh man, you, I got to get my, I got to get my stuff together. Like I need to really find some direction and purpose and like intent in what I'm doing now, because I'm not in the off season. Like it was okay. Like in my mind, it was okay to kind of treat the summer a little bit like that. But once October hit and the season started and I wasn't, you know, hopping on a flight somewhere, it very much was again, like, hunkering down a little bit and saying, okay, like, what are we doing? Like, what are the moves that I'm making? Like, where does that play into the stuff that I, I'm trying to build for myself now? Some of that was like a microcosm of that was started by saying, okay, let's start by just getting the each day started off. Right. And then as you kind of zoom out and look broader, I started kind of breaking up chunks of my time. I would say, okay, for these two weeks, I'm going to work on this thing in this area. And then, meet whatever needs for different people in my life during that, that span of time. And I think that's kind of how I've been breaking up the last few months, saying, this is what I'm trying to accomplish in this time. That will be one phase of this transition period. Boom, I'll be here, I'll be here, I'll be here. I'll work in some vacation in that. And then that makes it feel, the moving around that I'm doing isn't just like this aimless, kind of floundering around, just like, go where the wind blows you type thing. How's it been for your family to have you around? Are they like, oh, Josh, you're, you're still here. Yeah, it's, it's funny. So I, I've been living away from home since 14. So I haven't had like the normal family time since 14 that, you no, know, like a normal person's gonna have. So I've, I've framed a lot of the time that I've spent with family as like, I'm just, happy to just like sit here and just like be around them with no you know kind of objective of saying like i'm with them for such and such reason a lot of it is just for a while it's just i'm just kicking with my family and this feels really good it feels good to you know develop a different type of relationship with my sister my nephew her husband it feels good to be able to like witness um, a period in my little brother's life where he's recently gotten married and recently had a kid and like be able to share in the moment of like welcoming this like new baby into the, his life and like being there to support him like actively it like feels good like my mom's dealing with some health stuff to be able to like be around like for a couple of weeks to help her like in in different ways so a lot of the time of family has, has felt like that. It, it just like a lot of gratitude because I think, again, when you're overseas for a long, even when you're just overseas for a long time, you think of the moments that you miss and you think of the ways that you're not able to engage with the people you love and care about. So being able to have kind of these like 
moments that might otherwise seem like small and like every day for me after being away for so long it's just really really nice to just like fully just like soak and marinate in it and like not feel like oh like i'm the guy that's like <laughs> hanging around that's like yeah failure, failure's a lot yeah. failure's a lot you know yeah you brought up uh the little things but we spoke to val and she was like she was just happy to finally buy things for the for her apartment that she's actually going to keep, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I can get a nice, you know, blender or I can get a nice pot. Like, I don't have to go to this, you know, dollar store and get something that's manageable because I'm going to leave it at the apartment the next year. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's similar, like, you know, now you get to kind of, you know, you're staying for a while compared to knowing you're going to leave. Um, and so I think that's that's definitely nice to to hear that you're getting that time with the family. Um, Josh, because I think it's a podcast topic in its own. When we go to colleges, these universities, one of their pitches is the alumni. Like, oh, you'll be a part of this alumni. And I always wonder, okay, what percentage of players feel that? Like, and I know Stanford, I think, you kind there's a few when you see players you see that they still are connected even as they go pro to their schools um i don't know if that's tied to the coach staying for a long time or is it tied to the success of those group of people like did they win a championship in ncaa etc but i was wondering how is that stanford network playing out for you that promise that you get when you sign that the scholarship how is that playing out for you now that it would come in handy as you are transitioning? I think the kind of network thing plays in a couple of different ways. I think when you have a school, for example, like Stanford, people automatically think, oh yeah, like for sure you're connected and it has this, you have this stamp of some sort. And I would say there is some element of truth in that people will that like that that might get you a look or that might get you a converse a conversation maybe earlier on in your professional like sports career than later because i think as time passes from your like direct connection to the school like you have some like diminished like the the strength of that connection diminishes and the second part i'll say to that is it diminishes if you don't like actively maintain it And I think that's like such an important part of community and networking, whether it's like with your school or with your relationships with your team or just any relationship, frankly, there is like this, there's like this exchange of like effort that has, has to happen when you're trying to maintain something. A lot of times, like it's on you to reach out to people and try to like keep that connection alive so so i would say i think during my career i did a good job of nurturing different relationships but that was like an active effort that had to like happen like in the off season again when i talk about bouncing around from atlanta to new york to the bay area some of that going out to the bay area for example is like an element of networking and saying, let me make sure that I see the people that I've like maintained connections with. Let me 
make sure like I'm checking in and like just like nurturing these things because it's one it's one thing to disappear for 10 years and then like pop out of the woodwork and be like hey yo we went to i went to stanford you went to stanford we got a connection like those those ties again the longer you're away really diminish so it, it is an active it is an active effort to invest in relationships and main, maintain them that's what i would say you're a pretty private person although you do sh- used to share some things on your social media like being topless and doing yoga, but the retirement, like your decision to post about your retirement, is that something that you wanted to do? You thought about, did someone encourage you to do it? Like, why did you do it? Or did you not have to think about it? Was this mm. just like, okay, this is a good way to announce it. It's funny. <laughs> um, I, I think when it was, it was a good way to announce it and just kind of have just like this blanket statement out there that like this thing has happened in my life. I'm certainly pretty private and approach social media in a very, I think, thoughtful, thoughtful way. I, I there's certainly writing that I I'm doing about like retirement that maybe one day will come up, maybe, maybe not, but it was a clean way to just like announce it and then like not have to engage with it on the topic of social media. Like I'll take it like a, a step further i think i had a certain relationship with social media in that we have very as athletes professional athletes we have very public personas that they encourage you to like engage and like share for whatever for whatever uh marketing reasons or for teams and stuff the older i got and like the later i got in my career like the more like i didn't want to be a part of social media or like not be actively a part of social media I think I designed my Instagram in a way I now kind of look at it as kind of, it's almost funny. It's like this art project that kind of recaps like 10 years as a basketball player. Cause that's when I started my, my Instagram, for example, it was right when I graduated from Stanford and then it's all, it's the entire feed has been my journey as a professional player. And now it, I, I, I kind of look at it as like ending, ending that way. Like that was like a snapshot of a moment in my life for 10 years. And it's kind of documented, documented there. And then it ends with retiring, really. So it just seems both from just like a strategic, like I need to tell people that this thing has happened, but also like a culmination of this way of communicating. I thought that was right. Josh Owens, unguarded with Jory Davis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I think you should definitely leave leave the IG. Yeah, I think you should leave it. I, I, Start a new one if you want to get back on. But I think that's a dope concept for sure. Yeah, the, social media is more trouble than than not most of the time. Josh knew that he was going to end his career by posting his retirement on his social on his social media <laughs> on Instagram. That's how calculated Josh Owens' career. Well, well it, it's wait, wait, yeah. I, I'll, I'll just say real quick. I'll just say real quick. If, if you and my brother, my older brother, caught on to this, but if you go through kind of the later year or two of my social media it is very much kind of 
like a, it's it's I look at it more as storytelling. That's kind of how I approached it. And then like woven like little nuggets of things that alluded to like leaving. But yeah, it, it was fun while it lasted. Guess I gotta do it on myself.